Okay, hey, I want to talk today about the law of liberty. It is the name of our church, Liberty Church, and I want to talk a little bit about the law of liberty. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 23 through 25. can read along up here. This is be the New American version. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. James chapter 1, starting with verse 23. So in this way, hang on, I think I'm in James chapter 2. All right, here we, here we go. If you listen to the word... I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm tickling myself this morning. Man, okay. Woo! That was in James 2. I am delirious, I told you. I should start a band. <laughs> okay. Woo! If you listen to the word, verse 23 of James chapter 1, if you listen to the word, and not live out the message you hear. It makes you like a man looking in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Verse 25, But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all they do. I want to suggest to you that we need to look periodically. We need to gaze deeply into that law of liberty. And that, Lincoln, could you pull that back up? And that if we do, it motivates us to live out the word. I don't know how many of you grew up going to church, but if you did, there probably was, at the very least, a tinge of legalism in the church. Where? where am, I, am I undershooting that? I could probably, I'm not over-exaggerating, am I? Some of you guys know my own story in growing up in the Church of Christ. And uh, it was certainly do this and don't do that grow this out, cut that off. You know, it was that kind of, that kind of a thing in the, in the Church of Christ. Just thinking about my own growing up days, I guess when I get to heaven, Dad and I can talk about this, but in the, in the 1970s, 80s, when I was a virile young man, I... 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 I it was popular to have your hair longer. Not in our family. It was not, it was not allowed in our family. And so we had to, you know, there was just a law. There was a thing that we, we had to do. Uh, in the Church of Christ, women don't, like Sherry got up and shared the word that the Lord was showing her this morning. That would not have been allowed in the Church of Christ. Women don't speak in the church. We didn't have instrumental music. 
we sang a cappella. And, and that was not right to have instruments. So all of these rules and regulations. But God has called us. It doesn't, this doesn't mean that we're a lawless people, guys. In fact, we have a law. It's called the law of liberty. It's the law in other places. It's called the law of love. The royal law, um, he goes on to say, James goes on to say later in his book. So we have a law, but the thing is, God wants that law to be written on our hearts. We're going to read that passage in just a minute. So that we're intrinsically, we're internally motivated. Not externally motivated. It would be, I, I picture the old law, the, the, the law of Moses as almost, I guess, as being like if I walked up to you and I just pushed on your arm, not, not where I would push you down, but there was just a constant pressure on your arm, this constant pressure. I mean, if, if I was doing that all the time, pretty soon you would go, quit, get away from me. That external pressure that the law brings is something that Jesus died to set us free from. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to live with that. There is a law of freedom that God writes inside on our hearts so that we live from the inside out. One who looks intently at the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. I will go so far to say as we can't, we know that we can't keep the word, we can't, or we can't keep the law apart from the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can't do it. That's why we need to come every once in a while and we need to look into the law of liberty. We need to gaze into that law. And then out of that we become doers. Not the other way around. Amen? So let me just remind us of a few things as we talk about this. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the leaven of the law. We know that leaven is yeast, and it doesn't take a whole lot of yeast to work its way all the way through a lump of dough. It takes just a little bit of leaven. So if some of you were here a few months ago, I gave you permission after church to catch me if I say anything that's legalistic. I don't want legalism. Quit looking at one another. Y'all are kind of looking at, kind of nudging one another. I can see. I'm teasing. I'm, I'm serious. What I want to see happen with this church is that we create a culture of freedom. That we are free in God. We're free to be who He's called us to be and to do what He's called us to do. In many churches, the way vision is cast for the church is that you're here to serve me and my vision. So you better get on board. I'm flipping that and saying, I'm here to come alongside you and say, what's in your heart? What has God called you to do? I want to come alongside you and, and, and help facilitate that call as best I can. It's not that we come over and against as leaders. It's that we come alongside and we walk, actually, we come alongside one another and we walk together. A culture of freedom is a culture that's free from manipulation and coercion. 
where it's not like we're, you know, pointing your finger. You better come to, listen, you're, you're free to come to church or you're free not to come to the church service. Like I said some time back, you're free to read your Bible or you're free to read a novel. God has set you free. Legalism can be like a little, that little bit of yeast that works its way. And one of the reasons I feel like the Lord wanted us to revisit some of these things today is because we're still breaking old patterns and breaking old habits in our lives. Old ways of thinking. If I do this, if, if I do good, God is glad. If I do bad, God is mad. Right? The old, that old saying. And so that's got to be broken. That way of performance-based thinking has to be broken in our lives. We don't want that leaven in our lives. Clark Whitten in his book, Pure Grace, says, Legalistic Christianity is in the sin management business. Jesus didn't come to modify your behavior. He didn't come to conform you, but to transform you. He came to change the very essence of who you are because his goal is a union with you. One with Christ. I can still sin, but I am not a sinner. This is a state of being, this state of righteousness, this place of righteousness, is a state of being, not a goal to be achieved. I am the righteousness of God right now. I am as sinless as Christ. You are as sinless as Christ. Do we have, did we still have those? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, remember, you can just, we'll just blame it on my delirium. Do we still have those little, y'all still have those little uh, freedom confession do I diddies that we got? That's, it, that's um, and do we have any more in any, did everybody, do we get rid of all those or did everybody take those? Those, those that truth, we'll, it, we'll get some more um, and so we can have those. But that truth is something that's got to get deep within us. So let me say one other thing about the leaven, about the yeast. Many think and many teach that sin doesn't destroy my relationship with God, but it damages my fellowship with Him. Do you ever find yourself, if you commit a sin, if you do something that's wrong, that you find yourself kind of shying away from God like you don't really want to it's kind of hard, you know, like, can I really come to In your mind, in your emotions, do you find yourself feeling that way? Maybe, maybe not. At times I do, and if, when I do, I know that there's a wrong way of thinking that's inside of me. That's not the way God is. Our liberty, our freedom isn't negated by our sin any more than it was achieved by our good works. Come on. All right. Lincoln, pull up Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Here's uh, the Lord prophesying about the days in which we live. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Okay, now I want to read this um, out, uh, um, out of Hebrews chapter 8. And the, the writer of Hebrews quotes this Old Testament, this Old Testament verse. So Hebrews chapter 8. What did I say it was? Verses 8 through 12. You may just want to listen because it will be quite different. But you can follow along there with that. But God revealed the defect and limitation of the first covenant when he said to his people, Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by my hand out of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I rejected them, says the Lord God. For here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. And the result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know the Lord Jehovah, since everyone will know me inwardly, from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. Again, we are not a lawless people, but that law is now written on our hearts. The Bible also says that God takes our heart of stone out and he puts a heart of flesh in. He gives us a soft heart. So part of this law of liberty and part of who you are is that you have a soft heart. What, what was that hymn we used to sing? Um, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I can see on the one hand, I can see why the, whoever wrote that hymn, I can see why they wrote it. Sometimes I feel like that. But the truth is, I've been born again. I'm not who I used to be. So I'm no longer prone to leave the God I love. In fact, in my new nature, I'm prone to run hard after God. Somebody say amen. amen. That's good. So we have a soft heart that the Holy Spirit writes on. He writes on our hearts. Now, <clears throat> let me talk a little bit about covenant. Covenant. 
and we'll just kind of let me just kind of do a, a, a snapshot. The first covenant that I think most uh, scholar, Bible scholars would acknowledge would be the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve. The covenant that he, he gave them to tend the garden. Um, and you can read that in Genesis chapter 2. That he, would, that he would take care of them and they would keep the garden. When they, when they um, chose to go their own way and they fell away from the Lord, did you, you'll note as you read that creation story and as you read that Genesis story, you'll note that once God began to try to reestablish relationship with them, that he clothed them with the skins of animals. So that means in that covenant, something had to die. Before, they were naked and unashamed, it says. But, they, but something had to die for them, and, uh, for, for them to be able to continue in relationship with the Lord. Also, we see that Noah, God made a covenant with Noah, never again to destroy the, the earth by flood. When Noah came out of the ark, we see that he also offered sacrifices to the Lord. There was always some sacrifice that was offered in covenant. Abraham was given a covenant where God said he would bless him and that he would have many descendants and he was going to give him land. And that covenant was also um, established with sacrifice. And finally, what we call the old law, the, some people call it the Sinaitic covenant, that the law that Moses received on Mount Sinai, my goodness, there was a myriad of laws for them to keep. Dietary laws, relationship laws, how to worship, on and on. There was all these things that they had to do. And obviously, they couldn't do all those things. They couldn't keep all those laws. But then a new covenant came. Let's talk lastly about the new covenant. Let me get over. So God wanted to make a covenant between him and his people. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. In fact, we might could say it this way. God comes to Israel and says, I want to make a deal with you. For the deal to remain, we must both keep our side. My side is, I'll bless you. I'll multiply you. You'll be my special people. I'll meet all your needs. Crops will be blessed. Animals healthy. No sicknesses. Enemy defeated. You'll prosper in every way. Your job is to keep all the law, all those dietary laws, all those, you know, relationship, all the things that they did as they, as they functioned as a society and as a community. If you don't keep it, the covenant is nullified. Okay? Great. Well, they couldn't do it. They couldn't keep it. And the truth is, neither can we. They would cyclically run away and God would bring them back. But at the right time, God came, y'all listen to this, and said, I want to make a new covenant with you. 
The old one hadn't worked out so well. In this new one, I'll bless you and I'll multiply you. I'll be your father and you'll be my children. I'll take good care of you. That's my part. Now your part, God says, well, again, you didn't do so well last time. So this is what I'm going to do, says the Lord. I'm going to up my end of the bargain. I'm going to do my part and I'm going to do your part. I'm sending my son to do your part. So the new covenant, guys, is this. It's not a covenant necessarily between us and God, primarily between us and God. The new covenant is between God the Father and Jesus' son. They shook hands on the new covenant. And obviously... Jesus upheld his end. He kept the law and fulfilled all its requirements. He did for you and me what we couldn't do for ourselves. Our part is to believe and receive what Jesus died to give. That's all we have to do. That's all we can do. So it's a new covenant. In the old covenant, there were priests... In the new covenant, there is also a priest, and that's Jesus. He is our high priest. He's our high priest forever. In the, under the old covenant, the priest would serve as a bridge between the people and God. Jesus has become that bridge for us to serve as a bridge between us and God. So he's made a way for us to have relationship with Father. Let me read out of Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, starting with verse 22. So all of this magnifies the truth that we have a superior covenant with God than what they experience because Jesus himself is its guarantor as additional proof we know there were many priests under the old system for they eventually died and their office had to be filled by another but Jesus permanently holds his priestly office since he lives forever and will never have a successor so verse 25 listen to this so he is able to save fully from now throughout eternity everyone who comes to God through him because he lives to pray continually for them. He is, the perf- he is the high priest who perfectly fits our need, holy, without a trace of evil, without the ability to deceive, incapable of sin, and exalted beyond the heavens. Amen? He died for us so that we when we come to know him when we say I want you to be my master I want you to be in control of my life when we say that we become one with Christ 
So remember, all that he accomplished, we accomplished. When he died, you died. You know, Paul says in the book of Romans, he likens it to a marriage. He likens uh, that we were married to the old law. Is what he, he uses that analogy. We were married to this, this master, this taskmaster, that we could, not, we could never please. We were married to a spouse we could never please. And the only way out of that marriage is death. Is what Paul says. And guess who died? You. Me. We died in Christ so that that, that marriage to the old law was broken. And now we have a new husband, so to speak. It's a little stretch maybe for us men. But we have a new spouse. We have a new Lord, a new law, so that when Jesus died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he came back to life, you came back to life. You live again. You're, it's a new, you're, you have a new life. Our union, union with Christ gives us a heavenly position. We're seated in heavenly places. We have inheritance. We have fellowship with the Trinity. The Bible says that we're enriched in everything. This is who we are. Guys, if we don't understand this, if we don't, and I just wanted to try to paint with a broad brush today, if we don't have an understanding of what Jesus did, we'll never be able to fulfill what he's called us to fulfill. So it's knowing this. It's looking into that law of liberty, who he is and who we are as a result of what he did. The freedom that we now have because of the grace that he's given us, the unmerited favor that he's given us. Lincoln, I know I didn't tell you this, but could you pull up that freedom confession? Can you find that up there? Can you find it? Is it up there? Hey, you're thinking. Train them up in the way they should go, right? Can we all say this together? This is what's on that card that I was referring to earlier. That, and if we don't have any available, I'll, I want to get some. But it's a confession. There's something powerful as we declare the word of the Lord that establishes things in our hearts and in the atmosphere around us. So let's all say this together. I am free because I am united with Christ. I am one with Him. His death became my death. His burial became my burial. His resurrection became my resurrection. I am now alive in Him. Because of my union with Jesus, I have become the righteousness of God. I am holy in the sight of God and I have free and unhindered access to Him. Guilt, shame, and condemnation have no part in my life. The blood of Jesus has forgiven my sins, past, present, and future. I am currently seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All that He possesses is also mine. My oneness with Christ guarantees my freedom and nothing can separate the two of us. I am free. I am always and forever free. That is the truth. 
Even if you sinned five minutes ago, your sin does not negate your freedom. Nothing can take it away.